Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is old reliable Nick Mercadante. Nick, what's going on, man? Old reliable. You're old reliable. Whenever I have a, you know, whenever I don't really know what to do uh, with the show, I'm just, <laughs> let's just get Nick on and let's just uh, let's kind of just shoot the shit for an hour, and, and it, yeah. people always seem to like that. So why not? Yeah, I'm I'm good for that. I'm 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 known as a a, a world class bullshitter. So mm. that. Perfect. That comes in handy for the podcast. It, it comes with the territory of being a lawyer. That's just <laughs> it's just what it's just what I am. You can you talk you do? can you can talk for a long time without actually saying anything. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's I think that's more or less it. Um all right. So we we actually have a a pretty fun show plan. I mean, there's a uh you know, we've solicited some uh some Twitter questions from the listeners and uh we're going to talk about some of the goalie signings and how the landscapes changed a bit of the position. But first, let's uh, let's do some stuff on the Rangers because you're a uh, a noted diehard New York Rangers fan, and they've had a pretty eventful summer so far. You could argue they signed the the biggest name free agent, at least to switch teams this summer. And um, I, you know, they made a big trade before before everything started. So I don't know where are you at, where are you at with the team. How do you like the the, the new look New York Rangers? Yeah, well, it's, it's, you know, it, it's certainly been an eventful summer. Hmm. Um, it's fun as a fan when your team makes big moves. I mean, whether you think they're good or you think they're bad or, you know, at least you're kind of not indifferent because right. it's, it's a big change. So as a fan, you know, just pure, purely as a fan, um, it, it gives you something to talk about with your friends and, and with other fans and, and all that. And it, it gives you something to look forward to once the season hits. How is this actually going to pan out? You know, is is moving a guy like Derek Stepan going to blow up in their face when you know maybe they suddenly have some issues with center depth? Um, you know, Oscar Lindbergh they they lost as well hmm. in uh, in in the Vegas draft. So um, now you're you're kind of looking at their center depth and going, okay, you know, th- there might be some issues there unless they make a few more moves or or do something. Um, so that's that's fun to talk about whether you think it's a uh, was a good move for their future for their now or their future or not um it's fun to talk about now for me personally uh, just on the step on one um 
you know, I, I was very disappointed with the return on, on the step on trade. So, well, yes. I mean, just purely from the sense of the current sort of trajectory or direction of this team and how, the, you know, the fact that they got two assets back that won't probably help them at least this season. I mean, we could see yeah. Anthony D'Angelo potentially play a role, but I mean, I don't, I doubt he's going to be a difference maker, but at the same time, it is one of those well, moves. I, it is one of those moves though, Nick, where you, you can't necessarily just look at it in a vacuum because it kind of opened up some space to uh, complete the the next move uh, they were going to talk about, right? Like there was exactly. It's not just in isolation. Was, that's you just said. You took the words out of my. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is hmm. I, you know, bef- I, I, I'm, I'm obviously, I'm saying I was very disappointed with the return, right? But yeah, if you if you look at it in a vacuum, it's easy to be disappointed because you can kind of say, well, D'Angelo is a little bit of a scratch off. Um, you know, in his own right, what is he going to be? Is he going to be, uh, uh, you know, a functioning, productive NHLer? Well, yeah, he's got some of the peripherals. He's also got some baggage and, and all those other good things that, mm. you know, we can talk about, but we really don't know the details. Of. I'd rather not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. And, 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 you know, and you get another scratch off with draft picks and things like that are, you know, speculative. So if you look at them in a vacuum, given that Stepan is a, you know, a one B type center or a, a, you know, a strong two A center. Um, and, and Ranta is a, a, in my opinion, probably a starting goalie on a lot of teams, uh, or, or one of, if not the best backup in the NHL, you go, Ooh, that's a lot. Um, and if you're looking at the now and looking at what's going on for next season or even the season after that, you go, ah, I don't know if this was a good deal, but you're right. The bottom line is they wanted to get out of cap hell. Um, they wanted to free up space so that they could do some other things, namely sign a guy like Kevin Shattenkirk. Um, and that, I think, I think that deal worked out great. I mean, it couldn't have worked out any better. The, you know, the, his reputation took an artificial hit in the playoffs. Uh, you know, maybe that brought down his, the asking price a little bit. And on top of it, he wanted to be in New York, and he really made that pretty well known. Um, so I thought they got a really, really good team-friendly type of deal uh, with Shattenkirk. Yeah, that was a that was an absolute home run. I mean, the you know the big question mark uh, heading into his free agency was what kind of term would he command and. What would that, what that deal would look like when he was in his mid thirties, and the fact that you don't really need to uh, to pay the price for that, you know, he's going to expire when he's like thirty two, I believe, is, is huge. Perfect. Um, yeah. So yeah, the the thing with this team is like if you just compare what it looks like heading into next season versus what it was at the end of last year, I like this team better, assuming that Elaine Vigneault is willing to use uh, the pieces he's been given properly, right? Because right. like in the in the postseason, I mean, we saw. That for large stretches, I mean, their top four was McDonough, Girardi, and then Nick Holden, Mark Stahl. And all of a sudden, if you replace Girardi with Shattenkirk on that top pairing and you actually mm-hmm. play uh, Brady Shea, who, you know, yeah. there's a lot and, of reason to believe will be better next year, and Brendan Smith, who they and retained. Brendan Smith, right. Um, and th- that pairing was really good for them down the stretch. All of a sudden, if that's your top four and you can just eat up pretty much like... 15, Suddenly, 15, it looks 15, like you have one of the best top fours in the NHL. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You went just, from you know a universally panned defense, or maybe not universally panned, but panned certainly in you know in in our circles. Mm, <laughs> yes, uh, uh, our our elitist uh, you know 
anal- analytics circles and things like that. But um, you know, a panned defense, or, or at least a, a, a weak aging defense, as far as a top four to now, what I think is a very dynamic um, top four with guys that are right in their prime, um, you know, and kind of primed for, for to have their best seasons, McDonough and Shattenkirk, uh, Brendan Smith, who really is, I think revived his career, uh, with New York and is a great fit. Um, and, and seems to have, um, you know, great chemistry or whatever you want to call it with Brady Shea, uh, and Brady Shea, who I think is, uh, I'm, I'm so excited about his future. And we've talked about him in the past. I just think, you know, the, the sky is the limit as far as what he can be. So, so you're right. And, and a lot of it with AV is you had to take away some of his toys. Um, because I, I truthfully don't know if, if he can, I don't know if he can control himself. I have no idea. Well, come the season, I might be singing a different tune because suddenly, you know, uh, uh, stall is, is playing his, his usual top three minutes or, or whatever you want to call it. And, um, you know, Holden's getting regular ice time and, and things like that are going on. So, um, I don't know. I would love to see them, you, you know, maybe, I, I don't think Stahl's going anywhere, but um, maybe sell high, so to speak, on, on Holden, do some kind of last-minute move and um, and free up a little bit more room uh, for, for something new with the the bottom pair. But yeah, what, a, what a, an exciting change. And I, I think I feel better overall about the team as well uh, because of that. Well, like I, I love watching that uh, that Smith Shea pairing because you know something I've been keying in on more over the past year or so, and you know someone like Ryan Stimson, for example, has done a great job in his work of looking at um, you know different player player types and sort of uh, trying to optimize configurations of your lines or your pairings based on uh, you, you know whatever a certain player does best. You know, putting a playmaker with a shooter and so on and so forth. Stuff that seems. Sure very intuitive to us but we might not necessarily know without you know very time consuming time intensive data that's been put that's been uh put putting this data and putting all, all these data sets together and with smith and shea like i i see that perfectly where you know shea with the puck is he's such a smooth skater and he's very creative and willing to try stuff and and i i really appreciate that from him because too many too few defensemen in this league are willing to to activate like that and then smith on the other hand you know he's probably never going to reach that lofty status that he might have had as a prospect and when he was playing at the university of wisconsin but at the same time he's sort of this like really uh kind of effective modern day defensive defenseman where he's great at great in the neutral zone at, at breaking um breaking carry-ins against and you know just being a pretty much like a sturdy a sturdy wall he's, at his own blue line yeah right? he's got a, he's an interesting guy too um he's got a little bit of anton strawman's game mm. where he's very very good at taking away premium ice and in, in space right. he, he he does enough he's he's aggressive enough to disrupt you know free-flowing neutral zone play and passes you know because he'll stand up his blue line and he'll cut cut the angles off but he's also kind of smart enough and mobile enough to 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 get back and cut the angles off um you know he's not uh you know kind of like this big body checking type of defenseman but he doesn't have to be and you don't want him to be because sometimes those guys take themselves out of the play you know trying to get a a big hit that kind of artif- it artificially dislodges the other team from the puck but creates a new loose puck. Um so he's a space controller and that fits perfectly like you said with a, a guy like Brady Shea where Brady Shea is just moving vertically he you know he he will 
take some risks and get up the ice. And, um, it, it allows a guy like that to not be as worried about, Oh, uh-oh, I'm out of position. Um, you know, and I have no backstop or fill in for that. Right. Um, it's almost the polar opposite of when you look at that, the, the Girardi McDonough pair, pairing for all those years, you know, like yeah. McDonough, McDonough wants to, to move and skate and McDonough actually had to probably go away from his bread and butter game over the past few seasons because Girardi can't be the stay at home defenseman. He also can't be, you know, the guy who's joining the flow of the, uh, of anything going on up the ice. Right. He, so McDonough is just kind of solo out there. Well, and, I'm um, very curious to see, um, what Ryan McDonough looks like next year. Like, I think it's, you know, it, it's not a hot take to say that he's going to, his numbers are going to be better, but I'm just mm-hmm. stylistically in terms of how he looks out there. I'm fascinated. Cause obviously this is like an, like a homeless man's example of, uh, of what we're talking about here. But like what I noticed this year, for example, um, was, you know, when the San Jose Sharks made the Stanley Cup final two years ago, uh, their third pairing was Brendan Dillon and Roman Polak. And it was like, it was pretty clear that playing with such a, like a defensive anchor in Roman Polak, Brendan Dillon sort of really dumbed down his game and never really tried to do anything. And it, right. it, you could definitely see that in the results. And it just, it was weird because he was always this like smooth skating guy that I actually really enjoyed watching. And then this year they brought in David Schlemko and paired them together. And all of a sudden it seemed like, Brennan Dillon just was more willing to become that player he once was. Yeah. And it just, it was a completely, uh, it was a seismic shift in the way he was playing his game. And I think we could see, uh, some of that. And then some with McDonough here, where just the fact that he's playing with a guy who can, who can hold his own and move the puck all of a sudden will free him, free him up to utilize some of those, uh, physical tools that he has as opposed to just having to try to be this more, uh, stay at home defensive guy. Yeah, I remember there was some article or maybe it was commentary on television somewhere where they were talking about Dylan and saying, well, he really worked hard in the offseason on, you know, on um, his 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 game, his skills, you know, moving the puck and and puck handling, getting out of tight areas and all those things. And I was like, I I think he kind of always had those things. I think, you know, you hit it on the head. He dumbed down his game, whether it was because the coach told him to or whether it was because he recognized um, that his, you know, his partner was kind of that, that, that anchor type of player or mm-hmm. whatever it was, whatever the, the reason is, um, is almost irrelevant. You know, these guys, when, when they get to the NHL, yes, players get better in the NHL. Yes. They're constantly working on their game and they can, you know, see drastic improvements in certain parts of their game from one season to the next. But it's not like basketball players where if you practice free throws and you do 10,000 free throws in the off season, you'll get better at free throws. Hockey is a flow game and some of the skill, I don't want to say it's innate, but they've already built it up. And yeah, you can add little, you know, kind of ticks and ties to your game to improve stuff, but the package is kind of already there and it's just how it's being utilized. And, you know, I think any hockey player will tell you skill breeds skill. When you're on the ice with other skilled players, a, you want to keep up and do, you know, as much as you can to not take away from their game. But B, they're they're helping to put you, whether you kind of can see it on the ice or not, they're helping to put you in better positions to be successful, mm-hmm. almost regardless of your skill. So in in everybody, you know, the basic just look at the basic example is put 
put a forward, any forward with Sidney Crosby, they're going to suddenly have some levels of success. That is not a magic trick, okay? That's because Sidney Crosby is that good that he will elevate others' games. Players will actually probably play better with him as well because of the attention that he takes and because of the way you can put the puck on your stick in situations you don't usually get it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So, you know, I'm hopeful, and I think – we can probably expect to see that McDonough is going to be like, you know, almost like a, a, a new, a, a new player all of a sudden, a revived player because he's playing with a, a high skill player. Shattenkirk is a very, very high skill player. Um, and so what role he takes, you know, I don't know. Are they going to have chemistry? I don't know. And, you know, I kind of hate throwing just, Oh, chemistry. What, what the hell does that mean? But if you use, you know, things like Stimson's, uh, tracking and trying to create these kind of archetypes for players. You know, McDon- McDonough is a very, very well-rounded player. I'm, I'm assuming that he's going to be able to adopt whatever role is appropriate with a highly skilled player and be really successful. I'd like to think so. I mean, obviously, you know, he's like what 28 now and he has around five, yeah. 500 NHL games under his belt. So it's quite possible that after this many years of having to play that certain way, it might be tough for him a bit tougher for him to maybe make that adjustment but at the same time he's such a good player and i'm just i'm I'm very fascinated to see just what he looks like because i think he could uh be a far more effective and also just stylistically a more enjoyable player to watch and 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 that goes for this rangers team as a whole i mean they were you know they were really fun this past year especially at the start of the season when they were racking up all those goals just in terms of that transition counter-attack game that we've all talked about um Mm -hmm. and if you assume that you know, obviously Lundqvist, uh, at this age with, with this many miles on him, it's quite possible. Uh, it seems plausible to suggest that he's gonna be on a downward trajectory in terms of his performance. But at the same time, I think that nine, 10 he had last year is more of an aberration than the new norm for him. And even if he bounces back to something closer resembling his lofty standards from before, I think this could be a really effective team. Obviously there, that, that, those are a few ifs that I just raised there, but mm-hmm. the, the pieces are in place for this to be a very successful team. Yeah. And, and, uh, look, I'll say it. I said it on Twitter. Actually, I did one of those, uh, you know, Donald Trump, uh, tweet mashups with Donald Trump. And my tweet was not as, as upset with paths to Rangers as some very bad and conflicted people. Mm. Hashtag make America great again. I like the paths signing. I think it's, I think it's fine. Mm. Paths has been much better over the past few you years. Already, you're already on, on a, on a paths basis with him. You're not going to call him Andre, Andre or, or Pavlik or anything. No, we go way back. Pavs? We're going with paths. Everybody knows paths. I don't have to. So look, I think that's a great move, not because he's the greatest goalie in the world or anything else, but because over the past few seasons, he has been a very serviceable starter when he's been asked to be a starter. He hasn't been terrible. Uh, I think, you know, in though, and it's not just because it's not because he, you know, got on a couple hot streaks, although he did. It's because he cleaned up a lot of the, kind of sloppy parts of his game. Now he'll, he'll still have his occasional where you go, you know, head scratching moment. Um, it kind of comes with the territory, but I think, I think he'll be fine as a backup. Um, and I think he'd be fine to take, you know, 30 games if, if that, if it comes to that, um, Lundqvist is older and we can expect that, you know, I, I, I think you, you, you said it like, it's not the drastic decline. I think the first part of last season was an aberration. The second part of last season is more what he is, um, which is 
a declining Hall of Fame legend goalie. He's going to be all right. Um, I think the team's going to be de- better defensively overall. They're going to be more dynamic. Hopefully, uh, you know, some of the offensive pieces continue to develop the young players. Uh, I think they're going to be a really fun team. They, I, I really believe that. Yeah, I do too. Um, all right, let's. Uh, that's enough Rangers talk for now. Let's move on to some more league-wide stuff. Um, all right. So. I believe I had you last on the show about it was a few weeks before the uh, the expansion draft. It was sometime around the Stanley Cup final, I remember, and we were discussing different paths Vegas could go uh, with assembling their team, and you know this idea that they could um, sort of stockpile goalies and maybe hold an auction or or try to corner the market that way. And instead, they did the opposite, where you know they only basically took Marc Andre Fleury and Calvin Picard. They also took. Uh, took my boy Jean-Francois Barube, but uh, they let him go as a free agent. Um, and, you know, maybe, I don't know, I'm, I'm curious, based on that, um, you know, what your thoughts were on those picks, and also if you agree that, you know, maybe this shows uh, that the landscape is changing a bit in terms of how teams are valuing goalies, because maybe, you know, it seems po- quite possible that they would have explored uh, if teams were interested in certain guys that were available, and maybe they just realized that, you know, the trade market wasn't really there. And, and, and maybe that's a, a departure from what it's been like in the past where maybe, you know, these defensemen that they took all of a sudden carry more trade value in the market than, than, than these sort of replaceable goalies. So I don't know. I thought that was a fascinating development. Yeah. Really fascinating. Uh, you know, the picks for the goalies in, in, in particular. Well, first of all, so I, I don't know who John Francois Berube is. I, I'm, I, he is he's he's not an nhl goalie i don't know who he is um so that name keeps getting thrown around and so that was an off what i would consider an off the board pick because i'm i'm convinced that um, he's not a real person um so that's first secondly um you know the flurry thing that kind of panned out how we we said it would pan out um the last time i was on more or less um i still like it i think it was the right move for Vegas for a new franchise to you know give them some kind of name recognition all those things and I think it's great for him I think he'll be solid he'll be what he's been the past few seasons um you know and he probably has a decent bit left in the tank um I was very I I, I wouldn't say I was very surprised I don't know how you feel but um the whole Peter uh, Peter Mrazek thing Mm. um I just you know, I heard all the rumblings and I heard that it goes back longer than, you know, just this past season. And then it has to do with off the ice stuff. And I have no idea what any of that um, means or whether it's truthful or not. I don't even want to speculate on it. I just think that he's a really, really good goalie if you harness uh, his incredible ability. So to me, I, I thought that that would be, regardless of anything, that's a great pick because what at worst you you know, you play him, he plays well, and you turn him into trade bait, um, or he plays decently, and you turn him into trade bait. At best, you get your starting goalie for the next, you know, five, six seasons, whatever you more, ten seasons. Um, yeah, that was a. Um, there, there must be something more going on there. Otherwise, it was a very curious move to pass to pass on that. But um, yeah, no, I, I mean. Listen, I think, and, I think and for and for the Red Wings to not protect him, I mean, yeah, everything there was was bizarre. I think the, I mean, that Flurry Picard uh, one two Picard, next yeah. year could could be could be like at least yeah. league average, which is decent. 
Oh, for sure, for sure. And and I think Picard's a very capable goalie. I I think, I mean, that's a tough situation going on in Colorado overall. Well, I'm actually actually kind of surprised that, like, I would have thought that they would have explored maybe even protecting Picard and exposing Varlamov based on the contract situation. Yeah, somebody somebody asked me that. Um, I don't know somewhere, maybe on Twitter, a different podcast or something. I, I said the exact same thing. I, I, you know, expose Varlamov and see what happens. Given the contract and everything, they might not take him, and then you, you know, retain both your goalies and you give up something you care less about. I think mm-hmm. Picard has value, but you know, maybe um, you know, maybe they treat him like a true backup, and he plays and he gets, you know, he does decently well. Um, I don't think he has that cachet that, you know, you would be able to turn him into really strong trade bait or anything like that, at least not yet. Um, I think the league-wide opinion on goaltenders in general is probably either the same or steadily decreasing from where it was last year or the year before, and definitely down from, you know, maybe three or four or five years prior where you saw some really big contracts or bigger than normal contracts. Um, I don't think the league sees goalies as having a ton. I think they, they don't seem as interchangeable for sure that everybody's looking for their franchise goaltender still. And that's why you get like, you know, bizarro moves like the Ben Bishop move. But at the same time, I don't think anybody is you know breaking the bank for a goalie when they, they look around the league and they go down, there's a lot of good goalies out there. Hmm. Um, you know why? Why are we going to give up a, a massive asset for one? Okay, well let's um, let's let's switch gears and talk about that uh, that uh, goalie market and, and some of the moves we saw in free agency. But before we do that, uh, we're going to take a quick little break here to hear from uh, hear from a sponsor. Let me take a second to tell you about the sponsor of today's show, SeatGeek. Uh, for those of you who have been listening to the show for a while, you probably know this already, but uh, SeatGeek is essentially your one-stop shop for any sort of uh, tickets you may need, whether it's for a sporting event or for a concert. Uh, in just a couple clicks, they do all the heavy lifting for you and finding the best possible seats available, uh, rounding it all up, uh, providing sort of an easy interface that with a grading system that's color-coded and allows you to see uh, what the best bang for your buck is, and then you just go from there. And you know, the best part is, is that if you name drop the PDO cast, when you use their services, they'll even provide you with a $20 rebate to use on future tickets. And trust me, uh, you're going to wind up coming back and using it after you see how easy it is. So all you got to do to get that $20 rebate on tickets that I just mentioned is download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, enter the promo code PDO, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code PDO today, and you can get started. And with that, let's get back to the show. All right. Um, so we there was a little bit of a goalie carousel going on um, a few weeks ago. I mean, we saw, you know, Jonathan Bernier went to the Avalanche. Antti Niemi uh, went to Pittsburgh to back up Matt Murray. Uh, you know, two fan favorites of, of both of ours. Uh, <laughs> Steve Mason and Brian Elliott found new homes. Uh, Ryan Miller went to the Ducks. I mean, you know, there was a bunch of a bunch of goalie switching teams. Um, what was your favorite uh, move of the bunch? And please don't say Steve Mason. <laughs> uh, here's what I'll say. I I, th- I loved that entire kind of carousel of, you know, Elliot ends up in Philadelphia, Mason. It's it's all these goalies kind of moving in a, a big cir- concentric circle around the league. Um, I think it highlights what I was saying before the break that um, 
teams are starting to look at goalies and even some starting goaltenders, but at least the you know the the guys thought of as maybe platoon guys um, is somewhat interchangeable. And yeah, they're looking for. They're looking for, well, so I, I always criticize the GM saying things like, well, he checks all the boxes for us. And, you know, with no explanation of what the hell that even means. What are the boxes? Um, <laughs> yeah, what are the boxes? Well, he's big, he's athletic, he can, you know, he's compete level. It's like, yeah, all right, great. And, you know, some people will say, well, they don't want to. They don't want to tell you what they're looking for in a goalie. Well, why? What, what, everybody's looking for goalies to stop pucks. Everybody knows that. So tell me why you think that this guy's a world-class puck stopper. Um, you know, the best you can come up with is he's got compete. Um, then, I, I, okay. So I, I, I look at it as I, I, I do still think front offices struggle to quantify goaltending they look around the league and they go, there's a lot of capable enough goalies this year are capable enough goalie that we have, that we're going to go after that quote unquote checks all the boxes is this guy. And so overall, I think we're going to start seeing shorter contracts. Maybe the, you know, the average annual value stays around the same, but you're going to start to see shorter contracts, which really, um, whether I think it's, unwitting um and and they don't mean to do it but that's a better reflection of what goaltenders are which is get them for two or three years and hope for the best in that two or three years and then part ways because they're either going to get injured or they're going to pass out of their prime um and you know whether the league means to do it or not that's kind of i think how things are going to start to go now i'm saying that and meanwhile carrie price just got a massive you know ridiculously massive contract yes but Carey price let's treat him as a different thing yeah we'll talk about him in a second um yeah most of these deals we saw you know i would you know i'm not uh shy when it comes to uh calling out gms for making questionable decisions but there's you know in terms of this goalie class there was a lot of pretty much every every goalie was either a one-year or two-year deal and the prices were pretty suppressed i mean like you know i think steve mason at 4.1 per for two years was uh was the most expensive goalie so yeah. it's 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 tough to take uh too big well, of an issue look, with even, any of these deals yeah even the mike smith thing so you know you, they're giving up assets to to get mike smith and you know you got the i think it's true living again saying you know he checks all the boxes for us and you know he had previous experience with him and everything else but i, I don't you know, I, I can't really totally kill them for it. I, I want to, but I look at it and I go, huh, okay. You know, yeah, you know, he's older and it's kind of a bad move, but they're not, they're not going to be so saddled with such a huge contract that they can't get out from under it. Um, it's not a good move, but it's not, you know, a, a franchise crushing decision. And, um, in most of these goalie deals, that's, you know, what you're seeing is shorter term, um, you know, the average annual value is falling somewhere between three and, you know, five and a half. And, um, you know, you, you kind of get on with it and see how things go for the next year, next two years, maybe next three years. And then you move on to the next thing. And, um, you know, I think goalies need to be paid more for their work, but I don't think they should be getting long-term contracts. So if the end result is, well, the GMs don't really know what they're doing, but they ended up in the place that I would have recommended anyways, well, you know, what, who am I to judge them? Yeah, I mean, the thing with the Mike Smith uh, move, 
what I don't like is I, I, I really, I'm a fan of that Calgary Flames team in general. And I think that, uh, especially with the, you know, current situation in the Pacific and how wide open the West is, like they could be a real contender. And I just thought that the Mike, you know, settling for Mike Smith, especially before the rest of the market, uh, was given a chance to materialize. I, I just thought it was a bit, you know, it lacked, it was a bit unambitious for my liking. Like I thought that they could have so, swung, yeah. swung, swung a bit higher. And instead, they just sort of settled for that based on familiarity. And I generally think that's a bad way of doing business. So that, that was my issue with it. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that Mike Smith is going to be, you know, such an albatross or such an anchor on their team that he's going to completely do in uh, everything else that's got, they've got going on. I just, I thought they could have done a bit better. For sure. I mean, and the funny thing is he's probably not even going to play half the game. So, um, you know, because he's he, he's going to get injured. He's going to break down, whatever it is. Well, I so, wouldn't be relying on Eddie Lack to play the rest of those games. I, that's, well, so that's what I'm getting at. So, the you know, there's where your unambitious kind of part comes back to haunt them. Is mm. So now you're stuck with Eddie Lack, who's trying to resurrect his career. Now, Eddie Lack could could fix things. Um, but Eddie Lack was never an above NHL average goaltender. So let's not kid ourselves into thinking that he is going to revive his career and become that. He's just average is where he is at his best. And that's probably his ceiling. I don't think he's nearly as bad as he was in Carolina. Um, if he's starting 40, 45 games for you, you're, you know, that's, that's um, rough water. Uh, so to speak. So, um, yeah, they, I mean, they, they should have just waited and I, I, well, you know, my pick for them, I, I was pining for it the entire time, which was, I thought Steve Mason would have been a perfect fit, um, for Calgary. Um, but it didn't work out. And, and I kind of like the landing spot for Mason. I think it's all right. Hmm. Well, okay, so we're going to get to Mason because someone uh, left a question about him in the uh, in the mailbag portion of the show, and we'll get to that in a minute. But let's before we forget, uh, I did mention the Carey Price contract. Um, let's do a few minutes on that. It's ten point five for eight years, and it starts when he turns thirty one. Um, I I guess you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out all the risk factors involved there when you when you just spell it out like that. Um, it's it's a really tough position, and let's count on our fingers. One, two, three. Uh, Thirty-eight years old is when that. That's a uh, oof, and this is not. Um, it, it obviously, it was compared to the the Henrik Lundqvist deal. It's not that. Um, yeah, you got you got to understand that that Henrik Lundqvist deal came when he was in. He was out of control good uh first of all with no injury history to speak of whatsoever um and younger so it's not the same thing um higher percentage of the of the, of the cap um on an annual basis at least for now uh for for price and it's coming after he had a major injury for a goaltender and you really can't under understate um, you know, the, the impact of having a bad knee, having something happen to your knee as a goalie, there aren't goalies that just, you know, come back from a major knee issue and have a nice, long, healthy career thereafter. It will always come back and, and haunt that goalie, uh, whether he's missing games or not, it's, it, he's going to be feeling it. I, 
I promise you he's feeling it right now whenever he plays. And, um, and Carey Price is a big dude who's putting a lot of weight down on, on those knees. Um, that's going to get worse. Uh, and, and it could get worse as soon as, you know, a season, two, three seasons from now, we could start seeing the decline of Carey Price that fast. Um, and that, then that contract looks really bad. Well, much like with the discussion we just had uh, with the Rangers and the Stepan trade and the Shattenkirk signing, it's, you know, in the, in the salary cap world, you can't just uh, view, look at, you can't just look at moves in isolation and just purely evaluate them based on that, right? Like, because no one's arguing that Carey Price is uh, a very, very good goalie and one of the easily one of the best in the league. The thing is, is like all of a sudden now with this type of a deal, you're sort of really just tying yourself down to uh, this current incarnation of the Montreal Canadiens, yeah. which hasn't really shown us any reason to believe that it's good enough to uh, to get over over the hump and and make a serious run as a contender. And so then they just raise the question of sort of what the end game is here and whether you're just settling for being a a good but flaw you know a good regular season team that's ultimately flawed or whether you're trying uh to do something more and i th- that that's my issue with it right like i i, I came out against the, the deal and said i wouldn't have done it myself and people were like oh you're an idiot you know carry price means so much to this organization he's great and that both of those things are true but at the same time you do have to factor in sort of the opportunity cost of tying up that 10.5 million of the cap which is a, a, a higher percentage of the cap regardless of what happens over the past few years uh it's higher than we've seen any any team that's made a long playoff run really tie up in their goaltending before so we just, there's just no precedent here for just right. devoting that much of your th- that that higher percentage of your resources into that one position right well if any way you cut it now they are dedicating at least that amount to goaltending obviously they're dedicating more with the backup goalie right. so if you look at percentage of of cap hit there are teams that have had high percentage of cap hit that have made it to the stanley cup finals uh and won the stanley cup um so it's not totally unprecedented that you know you have a team I, i'm trying to think of who was the last one that had you know, something comparable where it's like 18 percent of the cap i I, was, I i thought i saw a stat where uh the year the Bruins won in 2011, yes, Tim Thomas was, was the I, only one that that has been over 10. percent That might be it. So yeah. that might be it. So it's not it's not unprecedented, but it's uncommon. It's yeah, it's not which optimal. Begs, right, which begs the question. I mean, look, if if you're tying, I think if you're tying almost anything to teams that won the cup, well, you know, only one team in 30 wins the cup every year. So right. let's not, you know, let's you don't. I, I always cringe when I say, well, they're trying to make a Stanley Cup contender. Everybody's trying to make a Stanley Cup contender. I hope so. Um, well, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I think that what you have to do is you've, you've got to look at, you know, do you, and I get this question all the time, can you build your team from the goalie forward and be successful if you're, uh, you know, in terms of cap hit, not really in terms of performance because I think every team wants to have the best goalie possible, but in terms of cap hit, um, and what I would say is, I don't, I don't necessarily think you can't, but you have you have to do it at the right time. You can't do it when you're paying for past performance. You have to do it. Look at the Caps; they did it, I think, perfectly with Holtby. 
entering his prime and, and they had a they had a, I think a leg up in turn in terms of analyzing performance because they did rely on playoff performance and they said wow this guy is an exceptional playoff performer he's already proven himself oh and by the way he's 26 years old so let's just go for it right not every team has that luxury of you know you can shut your brain off and make the decision it's a little bit tougher for other teams and you know you have some teams kind of play games with their goalies early on with RFA status and and things like that. But I think if you're going to do it, then you really need to do it when they are hitting that prime, 26, 27 years old. And, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see like a guy like a Matt Murray, how, how they, you know, how they deal with him. I don't know how they'll deal with him considering, you know, their cap constraints, but, um, I, I think you can build around your goalie in terms of percentage of cap hit, but you have to be really careful. If you're doing it too late, ugh, I mean, now you're right. They're saddled with we are the Carey Price show, and we've been the Carey Price show for the past however many years, but we've never been good. So what are we going to be in the future? Well, we're going to be the aging Carey Price show, and we're still not going to be good because our percentage of cap hit is tied up in that guy. Um that's I don't know. That's they're gonna they're gonna have so much trouble playing trying to play with that. Yeah, well, I'm sure that's gonna be a problem for uh, some other GM in a few years. So uh, I don't I don't think Mark, <laughs> I don't think Mark Bergevin is too worried about that at the moment. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's that's a that's a great great way to look at it. <laughs> Um, all right, let's do let's do some Twitter questions. I don't I don't normally do uh, mailbag type stuff on the show, but considering that we're in like mid, we're heading into mid July now, and the news is very slow, and there's you know it seems like everyone is gone on their summer vacation. There's very little going on. Um, you know, like like today for example, the yeah. biggest news was that Scott Lawton signed a two year deal with like a nine hundred thousand uh, dollar AAV, and I was like, oh, oh well, that's that's great. It's a busy times <laughs> in the NHL. So um, yeah. We've, uh, you know, I, I asked, I told people we were recording and I asked for some questions and they came through. We got a lot of good stuff. And, uh, if anyone out there is still listening to the show at this point, um, you know, we're not going to get to all these. So I was thinking I might do future mailbag episodes down the road. So if you guys are into that, uh, let me know. If not, if there's no interest in it, I, I will obviously will not do it then. But, uh, you know, here's a, here's a good start. Um, and I'm not going to read the person's Twitter handle because it's a bunch of numbers, and I feel like that would be a, a wild thing to do. But the question is, gun to your head, Cam Ward or Antti Niemi? Oh. And my um, my answer, we're both going to die. <laughs> and, and it's right now, right now. Okay, so it's not overall, right? It's not career. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's which goalie would you rather have right now. It's today. Mm-hmm. Uh, ooh, Cam Ward. Cam Ward. Do so, I have to justify it? Well, yes, because the reason I brought up the question was that we could touch a little bit on uh, Niemi signing with Pittsburgh and whether yeah. that's you know that was a logical fit for them. I mean, it was such a low cost move. I believe it was like seven hundred fifty thousand or something. Yeah. So it's like or seven hundred thousand, seven hundred k. So it's like if it doesn't work out, it's fine. It's whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's and that's my. I, I kind of. I, you can't see it, but I just did one of these eh, hand motions, like meh, whatever. Yeah. I mean that that who cares? It, and um, but I think you know if we're okay if we're looking at how much a team is paying for them. Obviously, I would take that Niemi deal over you know paying Cam Ward the exorbitant amount of money he's getting paid um, just based on 
you know, I mean, but putting that aside in terms of performance, I think Cam Ward is, um, is still playing start or was at least playing starters minutes up until last season or through last season. So, um, there's probably a little bit more in the tank for him. Hmm. It doesn't mean that that tank is, you know, running on premium gasoline. Um, but Niemi looks awfully tired every time he's in the net. Um, he just doesn't look, he looks like a beer league goalie to me. He looks like a guy who's just lost all of it. I mean, at the same um, time, even when he was at his absolute best, as good as that may have been, oh, he's uh, always, he still yeah. kind of looked like that guy, though, right? Total, totally true. He just can't get away with it anymore. I think. Yeah. Um, he just looks so slow when he's moved, especially when he's, um, if he's already down and he's trying to recover out. So think like, you know, guy on the post following the play behind the net and then the, the play gets moved out to the point. He is just awful coming off the post and out to challenge the puck. He's all sorts of off his angle, sloppy, slow to react. It's, you know, it's the worst version of Pecorine in the playoffs when he was, you know, kind of losing his net every time he, uh, he had to make that same movement. So, right. It was like the bad, it was like all the bad stuff about Pecorine without any of the good stuff. Uh, it's just really rough, rough on the eyes. Yeah. I, uh, you know, people that have been following me on Twitter and have been listening to the show know my thoughts about Cam Ward already. So I won't, I won't beat a dead horse there, but I'm very curious to see how Scott Darling fares this year. Um, you know, everything we've seen from him so far at the NHL level suggests that he's a good goalie. I mean, it's only 75 games through the past three years. So take that for what it's worth. I mean, obviously the hurricanes seem optimistic They're you know, they're a smart organization that is looking at stuff beyond just uh raw save percentage. And, you know, they made a four year investment item at a, at a decent cap hit. So they clearly seem optimistic that he can be that guy for them. And I think that even, even something like slightly above league average would be such a, a nice uh, change of pace for that team and could really uh, be the, what they need to finally take that next step as as sort of realizing all this potential that we've been talking about them having for the past few years now. Yeah, and so look, I mean, I think some some people that follow my stuff think I'm maybe too critical of Darling. I always just go back to they are smallish sample sizes or short bursts of games. Um, what is he going to look like as a starter? You know, he's never played. I mean, and I say, I say never, I mean never, not all the way back, you know, to, you know, college and all of his, you know, and, and it's obviously well known, all of his, his struggles and everything else, but he's never played the number of games that he's going to be expected to play as a starting goalie, not nowhere close. So what does that look like? Um, a bigger goalie? Uh, is he going to have issues with fatigue? Is he going to have issues with injury? Um, I think... I don't think he's going to have issues with focus. I don't think he's, I think he's, they set him up great. Um, you know, uh, as far as goaltending coaching, they set him up great as far as what their expectations are of him. I love that they gave a clear message that he is their guy. So I think all those things are working in his favor. Um, and if you look, he, he shows very, very well in my stats, but it's short bursts and it's never been over the course of a season. So that's to me probably the most intriguing uh, new starting goalie in the NHL. Yeah, it looks like the uh, only time he's ever topped 40 games in a single season was uh, 
a decade ago for the Indiana Ice of the USHL. <laughs> so, right, yeah, this is going to be. I mean, listen, he he played, you know, twenty nine games two years ago, thirty nine, uh, thirty two last year. So, um, yeah, it's not like we're talking about six games. Yes, at um, the same time, though. Uh, we've sort of seen what cam ward is and and what he's capable of and i think that uh if the hurricanes do have aspirations of finally getting uh taking that next step and potentially even being a playoff team especially given the state of how tough that metro division is they're gonna need scott darling to at least be like in the 50s and be uh good in those starts and we haven't really seen that yet from him so there's i can understand the the skepticism and people sort of wanting to see it before they believe it yeah, yeah, for sure. I, you know, it just, I, I'm, I, I think there's a lot to be optimistic about with him because of all the things that the Hurricanes have done around him to, to you know, set him up for success. Um, I, the biggest thing, and it, it, it can't be understated, is um, replacing Marku with, um, uh, with Bales uh, from the Penguins. So, you know, the thing with Mike Bales is he knows Darling. He helped Darling on his way up. Um, and that I think that familiarity is going to help when, you know, he has a bad stretch of five or ten games or whatever it is. Um, and I think Bales is just a really, really good coach. So um, that's it's – a, it's a perfect storm. There's my pun for the day. I'm not, uh, even, I'm not even going to acknowledge that. No? All right. No. Well – Anyways, I, I I think it's it's a it's a really nice situation. Um, you know, I have no idea um, how really how it'll play out, um, but I, I think there's a lot to be optimistic about, and it sh- I think it it could um, end up being a really good thing for Carolina. And they're a team uh, I, I think that's on the rise that's going to potentially surprise some people too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there is in the back of your head, it is kind of this thought hanging out that. I was I was pretty high on them last year as well uh, in the summer, yeah. and they obviously disappointed. But obviously, getting uh, some solid goaltending would would go a long way towards shoring that up. Uh, Jake Lester asks, "Do you think the Avs end up as the worst team in the league, league again next season?" And I think that's an interesting question because, on the surface, I would my initial thought would have been no because. As bad as they were last year, so much of it was just the fact that their goaltending was abhorrent. And mm-hmm. if I just I just find it hard to believe that it would be that bad, even though they lost Picard. I you know if Varlamov, assuming he can put together a, a stretch of healthy games, should be better. And they brought in Jonathan Bernier, who I'm not too high on, but at least he's. Uh, you know, last year he looked decent in Anaheim in short bursts. Right. So, so yeah. you, know, you know, even if just not having just such bad goaltending would be uh, a massive boost to them and towards getting them back to respectability. But then you look around the league and all of the other teams that you would have in contention for that spot got better, I feel like. I mean, yeah, you know, like Buffalo do was you, the second. Do you think Arizona got better? Well, they got dramatically better, didn't they? I think so. Some I mean, people, I think, are saying they're still, you know, going the other way. And I think, I, I don't think that at all. I think they got dramatically better. I think it's impossible to argue that they got better. I, I, the, the question I would have is whether it's worth it in the grand scheme of things because it seemed like they were on this sort of uh, yep. trust the process path of really just blowing it up and getting a bunch of high picks and taking their time with it. And then this year, this summer was a bit more of a 
crap, we'll just get a bunch of NHL players and try to be not a laughing stock of the league. And I think that that's going to be a dramatic improvement for them now. You know, I don't, I, I don't want to get crazy with it. I don't think they're going to be pushing for a playoff spot by any means, but they're going to be fine. They're going to be competitive. So I don't, I don't think they're going to be the worst team in the league. I mean, the Canucks have a lot of their own issues, but they signed a bunch of guys. They got some NHLers. Which is a massive step in the right direction, considering the guys that were playing last year. Um, So I guess the only other team you could really make an argument for is the Devils, though I think unless they trade Corey Schneider, I think he's going to be better for them next year. And, you know, they add a guy like Marcus Johansson for nothing. So that's good. I mean, maybe Detroit. Like, Detroit really seems like a team that could just completely bottom out just based on... How yeah, they bad were their roster is like you know Henrik yeah. Zetterberg was really good last year, and it snuck out. It's it kind of snuck up on people because that team was just so forgettable. Otherwise, and he's been around for so long, so no one was really paying attention to it. But if he falls off a little bit, which seems reasonable given his age, and I just there's not much to fall back on there unless you know their goaltending is really good, which seems possible with, with, with Howard and Mrazek there. I mean, you know, they could be sure. one of the better goal tandems in the league. And just like we talked about with Colorado, I mean, just having that type of goaltending means so much. So sure. I, I don't know. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting. Cause those are so those, if, if there were three, you know, I think surefire bottom feeders, those would be my three. It would be the devils, the red wings and the abs. Mm. Um, in that order, I think the devils are going to be the worst of the three. I actually, I'm not looking at Corey Schneider and going, this is going to get better. Um, there were some telltale signs of age and something going on. He was slow. Uh, that wasn't like an aberration. It wasn't, he was slow. Um, pe- people are kind of forgetting that. And I do this all the time with goalies. When I say their age, Corey Schneider's 31. Um, he's not a young guy anymore. Um, he's a big guy. He's another one of those guys who's slamming a lot of weight down on his knees. He might not. I mean, is he going to be as bad as last year? Yeah, I don't know. You kind of say, well, maybe he won't. Maybe this is my whole thing that the goalies, we've been spoiled by a couple goalies who who kind of made things crazy with, you know, your Lundqvist and Luongo and Price and even Miller, you know, those guys with like crazy longevity, longevity of an NHL goalie is, is not there. Longevity of an NHL, you know, elite starter is, um, is equally rare. And I, I, you know, Corey Schneider may not, get a whole lot better especially with that team in front of them Um, they're not gonna make it easy for them yeah i guess i guess the argument for the devils being the worst team in the league next year is the metro division as well um yeah you know if we assume that carolina is going to be better and i think philly will be better than they were last year i mean and so all of a sudden it's like you have seven good teams and then the devils and they really could just be really really bad so i think they're going to be really bad i think the red wings i i don't have anything to add with what you said about the red wings i think you hit it on the head they're not they they're just so they're just boringly well here's the and this non-factors this isn't a good sign for uh the state of that franchise but the best thing going for the detroit red wings right now is uh the athletic branch that Craig Custins has started. Um, yeah, <laughs> nice slug. <laughs> I mean, he had a, you know he had a great story today about how, uh, in I guess in these uh, rookie developmental camps they're they're running right now they're they're using this uh, they're trying out this sort of a uh, 
tracking technology on the players to to measure their uh you know various uh biometrics and 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 phys- physiological rates so i think yep. that you know that, that was a cool story i definitely recommend go checking that out and that was that's, really cool and I, that's a personal you know interest of mine with goaltenders mm. on, on goaltender biometrics and studying their you know their health and longevity that's exactly what we were just talking about so um yeah i just uh, i just got my subscription to the athletic uh right after um the the craig custons um news there with, with detroit so yeah um they got some good stuff they do have some good stuff um Okay, I got a question here from uh, from Clattering of Tones. Uh, asks which team won the UFA goalie ring around the Rosie? Uh, the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah. Well, I, I I figured you'd say that, and I thought it's time we talk about Steve Mason. So that's why I set that one up on a tee for you. Thanks, buddy. Um, great contract. Perfect mm-hmm. for I think what where he's at in his career and how they're going to use him. Um, he's just woefully undervalued around the league and I don't need to belabor it. I've talked about it a million times, but you know, I think the jets parlayed that into a perfect contract. So he is going to start, um, he's going to play the lion's share of games. It's going to give a ton of relief to Hellebuck who absolutely needs it. Um, he was not ready last year and it showed. Uh, so him, being in a backup role will be good for him and his development into maybe being somebody who, you know, maybe he ends up being trade bait to, to make room for Comrie and that's okay. Or maybe he starts to kind of get back to where he was uh, in terms of his prospect status. And, um, you know, a season and a half or two seasons from now, he is your starter and he's shepherding in Comrie. I'm a, I'm a firm believer that you should not rush goalies to the NHL. The Matt Murrays of the world are, are very rare. Steve Mason's the perfect example of a goalie who was rushed to the NHL too early, and he went through that huge dip in his career, and it kind of ruined his reputation um, to some extent. So um, I think giving goalies plenty of time and seasoning, it's kind of like, um, uh, you know, I don't know, a, a catcher in baseball. They just take a little bit more time to learn all the nuances of, of playing at that level. And, um, and they need the reps to get there. Yep. So why push? Why, Winnipeg's got two really good goaltending prospects. Why push them um, and throw them to the wolves? Um, this, this is perfect. Steve Mason's going to start a ton of games and, and play great. Uh, nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing wrong with that deal whatsoever. Um, so and I think it's leagues ahead of, of any of the other ones that, you know, I like the Elliott one too. I think that's fine. Yeah. I mean, it, especially you're just on a pure, uh, per, per dollar basis, getting Elliott for two years, 5.5 total is a home run for the flyers. Yeah. So I like yeah. That a lot. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go with you there. I'm curious. So, so what do you think is a good split for the jets in terms of starts? Like, do you think it's something like, uh, 50, 30 for in favor of Mason? Yeah. Yeah, and I think as long you know Mason's whole thing, he said it. It's the same thing I've been saying. Just don't jerk the guy around. If you want him to be the starter, call him the starter and let him start and give him a leash. If he has a bad game, it's okay. He, you know, he is as consistent a goalie as there is in the NHL, and he's proven that over five seasons. So just give the guy the leash um, and let him work through it. And where where the Flyers really screwed up the past season, um, really two seasons, although. Mason, I think, overcame it two years ago. 
um, was every time he slipped up, then they put in Neuwirth, you know, and then they do this musical chairs thing and all this other nonsense. So I think if, if they go in, you know, everybody goes in eyes wide open. They say, hey, look, you know, Mason, you're the starter. Obviously, you know, we got to get Hellebuck his reps too. Um, we're going to give you 50, 55 games. We're going to give Hellebuck the rest. That's our game plan. And we won't jerk it around and, uh, you know, unless something really goes off the rails over time. Um, it's your net. Um, then he's going to be great, and and you know they'll he'll be fine even if Hellebuck plays thirty five games if it comes to that. Uh, as long as Mason knows that at the end of the day he's the starter, he's the guy, and he's the one who's going to carry them into the playoffs, all that other good stuff. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, all right, so so I got a question here, and this is one that I get very frequently, and I think we can expand on it a little bit and go back and forth. Is uh, you know, someone asks, uh, they're new to fancy stats and they always hear people talking about them on podcasts and they're basically just wondering which stats are on your starter pack in terms of, uh, things to look at right out of the gate that could kind of guide you down the right path. Well, okay. So uh, it's kind of a, not really answering the question, but I really am a big believer in everything that, um, Ryan Stimson's doing. Mm. I you know, it's not like this is a stat. It's obviously, it's a series of microstats that go into building a bigger picture of what's happening on the ice or, um, you know, how a particular player fits into the team dynamic. I think that stuff is great. And, um, you know, my biggest thing, I don't, I'm not a fan of the microstats just being thrown around. You know, like you see, I'm not going to, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to get into who or why or whatever, but you see some of the tracking companies and you see some of these things where they just throw out a microstat and everybody goes, okay, that's interesting. What the hell does that mean? Is that, you know, is that indicative of anything? Is that, does that mean they're going to score more goals than the other team? Um, be very wary of following, you know, microstats just because they're out there. Um, you should be looking for, you know, people that are testing their microstats and having them turn into something meaningful. And I think that's exactly what Simpson's doing with his stuff. And that's why I think it's great. And I, I you know, I co-sign what you're saying. And one of the reasons why it is such so good for, uh, for these purposes in terms of as a starter pack is that a lot of it is just kind of, um, intuitive stuff mm -hmm. in terms of you know if you're just watching the game casually and then it's sort of it all ties together it's not like you're just speaking a completely different language and sometimes uh you know just getting off on the right footing and uh you know taking baby steps in terms of understanding some of the stuff we're talking about is, is so huge for people uh you know it could be easy for us to just sometimes kind of take that for granted and just assume we're all speaking the same language here and right and you, you you know then you don't really make it um you don't make it an open discussion for everyone to participate in. And, th and that's a big problem that we deal with and something we need to get better at. So uh, I think that's huge for that. Um, yeah. It, it, I just want to add like, you know, so with hockey grass, so hockey grass, kind of a perfect example of what you're describing. Sometimes things can get too, I don't know what you want to call niche. it. Yeah. A little bit. And yeah. it's because we're, you know, we're all kind of sharing it with each other in our world. So it's, it's harder for a first time, you know, person reading it to go, well, where do I even begin with this? You know, you, they have to backpedal 14 or 15 uh, articles to just get to the beginning of this, um, you know, the thought process that led to this kind of niche type of topic. So, you know, I think 
what, what we need more of on a general basis, um, and hockey grass is starting to do this is, um, aggregate other stuff to get to, you know, that advanced stage. So, okay. If, if the advanced stage is this, then what are the things I need to read to get to that point? Um, so hockey grass is starting to become more of a resource for that type of stuff, which I think is great. Mm. Uh, on, along a similar vein, uh, Thomas D'Onofrio asks uh, most underrated advanced stat and maybe instead of underrated because that could mean so many different things uh, what is one where uh, you just for whatever reason it's like a personal favorite for you know it could be it could be anything just something you might maybe appreciate more than uh, an average Joe might hmm want me to give you um, mine sure yeah I love uh penalty differential stats um Ooh, that's a good in terms of individual players because we know that it's a repeatable skill which is huge in terms of what you were uh, just saying with with micro stats where you know it can be descriptive or predictive and we know that uh guys that either take a lot of penalties or draw a lot of penalties it's typically uh an actual skill that they can do year over year especially on the extremes and I, I think that's huge, especially in terms of, uh, for defensemen, right? Like you see like a guy like, uh, Oscar Clefbaum or Chris Tanev that play a ton of minutes against top competition and never take penalties. And I think that, you know, even as recently as five or 10 years ago, that would have somehow been spun as a negative where it's like, this guy's playing too soft and he's not, you know, he's not taking enough roughing penalties. And it's like, well, that's actually a good thing. I mean, it generally means he's in the mm. right position at the right time. He's not putting his team down a man. He's not taking himself off the ice for two minutes at a time. And so I think that's a really underappreciated sort of personal favorite that I, I, I love looking at. He's a sissy and it's a man's mm. game. Yeah. You wouldn't want that. Yeah, the, the, my fa- those are one of my favorite um, things is when you see like the historical stats and you know it's a it's a Hall of Famer and one of their top stats is like most penalty minutes plus you know most goals in this season or over his career or whatever it is. It's like you know, boy, if he wasn't in the box all that time, he he really could have been uh, you know a legend instead of just known for that. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I, you know, I always go back to Brendan Shanahan, and, and I get it. That was part of his game was the quote, you know, quote unquote, playing with an edge and all right. that type of stuff. But he took himself out of a lot of games with his uh, his temper and bad penalties, and you know, slashing a guy behind the play and all that type of stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I'm having a tough time thinking of one that's kind of underutilized that should be utilized more. Uh, I, I want to say some of my own, what but about that's, the my, that's my fault. No, it's not the Mercad. It's, um, it's win and loss <laughs> threshold and it's my fault. It's because I haven't put it out there, um, to the, the degree it should be. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I hope that I'll get the free time to do that at some point, but, um, I'm, I'm tired of, I think everybody's tired of me, uh, you know, <laughs> making that promise. So. Yeah. It's like that, uh, it's like that old like sitcom joke where they keep referencing a character that never actually shows up on screen. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, that's what my uh, my Twitter persona has become to some degree. Like, oh yeah, Nick, yeah, he's going to write that article about the mm. thing. Um, so yeah. someone asked, someone asked, how many uh, shots against do you need before you're comfortable declaring goalie X better than goalie Y? I, I believe it's it's been found to be something around like three thousand shots, right? Yeah, the, so the, that's kind of the going rate for career. Right. Um, 
obviously so, there's a lot of context involved and it's on a case by case basis. There's not, there's obviously not going to be one like threshold where as soon as you reach it, it's, it's definitive on, on who's better. Right. Um, I think that's the biggest thing to remember. Um, you know, and this is, this is kind of the, the, it goes, it's the, the reason that we got other types of stats for skaters is when you're just analyzing things based purely on shots and goals, you're, you're killing the sample and you're inviting, you know, noise in smaller samples. Um, so that's, you know, that's the, the, the problem, you know, but it's hard to avoid because analyzing goalies with things other than shots on net is precarious as well. And, um, we've done some of that and I'm not, you know, I've, I've come around to some degree on, on analyze, you know, including, uh, shots that miss the net in terms of analyzing goaltenders, but not completely. Um, it's still very counterintuitive. And while, you know, goalie coach or goalie may say, yeah, you know, forcing a, a shooter to miss is an important skill. And I absolutely agree. The instances where the goalie forces the shooter to miss are rare enough as to essentially be, you know, you can chalk it up as to some degree white noise. Um, most of the time guys are missing because of other things. They're off balance. They tried to pick a corner and missed the uh, skater got in the way and, you know, took away the angle or blocked the shot or whatever it is. So, um, it, that just, just, you know, it's kind of goalie analysis. One one is we're stuck with what we're stuck with. Um, I tend to think that if you, well, and not tend to think I've, found with win threshold and loss threshold that I am getting repeatability and I'm analyzing those on a season by season basis. Um, the signal is not super strong, but it's something. So that means that, you know, if you're looking at somewhere between 600 and 800 shots in a season, you're starting to at least get some information that's useful, but you have to turn it into, you have to take it and do a a bunch of manipulation to make it um, more predictive. So I think that's where, um, you know, it starts to, it starts to get dirtier for goalies. Well, in terms of, um, I'm not sure if you have an answer to this or if you looked into it, but, uh, I'm always kind of curious about workload in an individual season. And, you know, if there's, uh, you know, it seems intuitive that there would be, uh, a point of diminishing returns where it's like, after you've played a certain number of games, uh, fatigue is going to set in and performance might drop off and i guess we kept expecting to see that out of cam talbot last year for example and he yeah. really just kind of kept it up and and you know maybe maybe it's one of those things where we're going to see it this year um or you know it, it it might not necessarily be as completely cut and dried as after you reach a certain well, number of games all of a sudden you're going to fall off but i'm kind of I'm, I'm curious about that that sort of workload uh dilemma that the teams are dealing with yeah, and in the kind of the, the dilemma that I face, so I've done some work with, and I can't, you know, I can't, uh, it, it sucks, but I can't say who, but I've done some work with an agent mm. who wanted me to look at basically that exact thing, right? And wanted me wanted me to also look at you know age plus injury history plus physical build and how those things relate to fatigue and how those things relate to peak performance and you know diminishing returns uh, over a season and over time over years um, to give a better sense of who 
the, the, these particular goalies are and what the market looks like. And so the, the, the difficult question to ask the, or the key question to ask is, it, is every single goalie the same? And are they going to experience fatigue and diminishing returns or poor performance the same way as a result of fatigue or injury? The answer, of course, is no, they're not. So what does that mean? So, you know, I've looked at things like, okay, over a season, take these X guys who played, you know, some threshold number of games in the first part of the season, compare their performance against the second half of the season. Is their performance in the second half worse? No. <laughs> all over the map on a case by case basis yes right so then you get you you fall into this you know trap of well let's analyze it on a case by case basis and you start to look at circumstances and all those things and that's where you lose you know statistical analysts and math people because they start going no 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 don't start doing that right yeah. so it, of course you know some agents and front offices, they love doing that because they want to tell their story and justify what they're doing one way or the other. Um, but, you know, then you then you look at, okay, well, if it's not as cut and dry as that, well, how do they experience fatigue? Is it on a game-by-game -game basis? Is it based on how tight the games are together? Does fatigue come in waves? You know, you play 20 games, and then you get tired and you need a break, and then you play another 20 games, and then you get tired and you need a break. Um and again, you know, the answers are not clear. So it's a huge, huge area of interest around the league. I, I promise you that um, with complete unknowns and, and lack of answers. And it, that's the, you know, if I could just clear everything else and dig into one thing, it would be the biometrics of goaltenders and how, um, you know, fatigue sets in and how it impact, impacts their performance uh, over the course of a season and over time. Um, it's, it's incredibly interesting, but incredibly complex and difficult. Yes. I, uh, I know that's no I, answer. It's not an answer. No, well, it's, <laughs> a, it's a complex question. It's not as necessarily yeah. simple as uh, just giving a one word response. Um, so Corey, John Milano, and this is one of the final questions we're going to get to asks, can you guys talk about the Kings and if they can turn possession into actual scoring chances and goals? And uh, this topic came up on my last show with Tyler Dello, and we got into a little bit, but it was already like well past the hour mark, and we decided to just cut it off after a certain point. But they're going to be another fascinating test case next season because we've already heard... Um, you know, the people that are running the team come out and sort of acknowledge that they might uh, be looking at a way to uh, optimize their 515 performance. And maybe, uh, you know, for years they've been sort of this uh, possession gold standard, but it hasn't necessarily translated into goals. And I'm going to be fascinated to see if they change their approach and what happens with it, because, you know, to go back to some of the stuff Ryan Simpson's been doing, we know that, you know, certain, there's certain ways where you can, uh, create better looks, whether it's, uh, you know, east west passes across Royal Road, get the goalie moving, uh, whether it's, you know, passes from out behind the net, uh, you know, someone like Steve Alicat, for example, has shown how, uh, you know, the expected goals increase if it's a double screen versus, uh, just one guy standing in front of the goalie. So there's stuff like that. But, I'm a bit skeptical that they'll be able to do much with this because you look at that team and while as much as I love the getting Michael Camilleri for a million dollars after he was bought out by the Devils, 
there's a noticeable lack of skill on this team beyond the yes. the top handful of guys. So while I'm sure their intentions are good and it's quite possible that they could stumble upon something, I just I'm not sure what they're going to be able to do with this roster as it's currently constructed. Yeah, and and I, I don't think they're going to keep pucks out of the net all too well either. Um, you know whether quick plays or you know has bouts with injury or you know he's kind of returns to his best form which i think is somewhere between a top 10 to 15 goalie or he you know really starts to fall off because he's got a bad groin um they're going to struggle i think they're going to actually struggle with keeping the puck out of their own net and if they're going to change their playing style they might be playing in their zone more um and facing more shots i i don't know i have no idea how they're going to kind of reconfigure their systems to 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 do that with the roster they have, because you're right. They don't have, it's not like they've got a bunch of high school guys and they're like, well, look, we're, we're going to apply a different system. That's going to highlight the, the, these, you know, these players and their, you know, incredible goal scoring ability. It's not one of the biggest mistakes that the, you know, the, the kind of the, I don't know what you want to call it, but the last wave of statistical, analysts did that you know really started kind of pushing Corsi onto the map is hitch their wagons to the kings before we saw the kind of the whole picture and Mm. fleshed it all out and obviously you couldn't have known at that time how we would progress and you know advance and and um you know mature in terms of a community and analyzing the sport but you know all along even when the kings were winning they weren't a particularly pretty team to watch um, yeah, they could produce a lot of shots and keep the puck down in the other team's zone, but nobody was ever denying the fact that, you know, that is not the be-all, end-all of success in the NHL, is having the puck or keeping it in the zone or even producing a lot of shots. Nobody was ever denying that, you know, the quality of your shots is important. It's just a matter of how do you analyze it and tie that to, you know, success. And, of course, he was shorthand you know, to tie to overall team success across the league. Yep. Um, so the problem is, you know, was the perception when you, you hit your wagon, hit your wagon to the Kings. And then now this is kind of the end result of it. It, it looks bad, you know, in hindsight, it kind of looks bad. Um, but I don't think that, you know, I don't think the Kings were necessarily the model of, uh, an uber successful style of hockey. Um, they were, and they were and have been an ugly style of hockey, and they just got older and worse, right? Yeah. And I mean, if so, anything, you could argue that it's kind of propped them up because this roster's been bad for a few years now. Yes, they've been, yeah, that's, they've been competitive. That's, ex- that's exactly how I felt about it, is mm. it has kept them more competitive than maybe they should be. And maybe if they got rid of you know the 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 coaching staff a couple of years ago, they would be in full rip-down-and-rebuild rip mode. Um, yeah, I don't know. But um, I, I think that they're going to really struggle, and I don't think it matters who's coaching them or what they what they're going to do to to you know to somehow try to address the scoring or whatever it is. If they have the current roster they have, I just think they're going to struggle. Yep, I agree. All right, one final question before we get out of here. Uh, it's from Zach Bell, and he asks, "What's the best non entry level contract in the league value wise?" And 
the only reason I bring up this question, I don't necessarily want to talk about specific players because all of a sudden, as soon as you mention one guy, I'm sure everyone listening at home is going to, you know, bring up some other guy that we're not talking about right now. Maybe it's playing for their favorite team and they're going to call us idiots. So I, I think more so just philosophically, there's three sort of, uh, different camps you could, uh, kind of lump together and answer this question i mean what the one obvious one and you know zach said excluding kucherov because that one's nuts but uh it is like guys who were rfas and just had no real leverage yeah. whether it's kucherov <laughs> or you know a lot of them happened last summer kucherov um jacob truba hampus lindholm ricard raquel like you go on, on down the line it's these guys who don't have much leverage and they have to settle for these uh deals that are not going to wind up looking great and all of a sudden they get better based on their uh, aging curve and natural development and all of a sudden they're going to be steals for their teams for a few years and I guess you know good on the teams for uh, taking advantage of that leverage and uh, knocking out of the park with these contracts but those are sort of the ones that come to mind in terms of the best values yeah for sure um, obviously it's if you can knock it out of the park with one of those types of, you know, parlaying the, the RFA status into a, a, an eminently reasonable contract with term, mm. um, that's great. Um, I, I like, I think um, Tyler Johnson is a, is a great contract in terms of what you get for for the value. Wait, now um, even after he signed his new deal? No, no, no. I'm sorry. Uh, b- before right. his, his deal. Yeah, before his new deal. Yes. But, um, you know, I think that that's maybe where now it goes in the wrong direction, right? Um, the, so if I, if I could just go back to, you know, and it's not, you don't have to go for low AAV to have it be a value deal. Right. I, th- I think that Johnny Gaudreau contract from last year is a great contract. Yeah. I think that, I think that's going to get better and better. I actually, if, if you treat last year as a down year because he missed games and, you know, he didn't have the total point, total points he had, but more importantly, his goal total went down a little bit. I, I just, I just see him coming back and being a, you know, an 80 point guy and, and going up from there. Um, I, I, and you've got him for, what was it? Six years. And I think it's like 6 million a year or 6.25 if I'm mm. not mistaken. So well, it's a, a, it, it's as we always say: you don't don't pay for past performance, pay for a future performance. And as you said, uh, I, I'm optimistic. I, I believe there's no reason not to believe that uh, he's going to be get better great. and better. And yeah, yeah, they bought those prime years, so that's a that's a good job by them. I think, that's, yeah, that's a perfect example. I think of a, of a value contract and, and one that yeah, sure, it's expensive, but it's not. It's not crazy, and you bought his, his, his prime. So there's two other ways to go about answering this question. Uh, one, and I don't like I don't think these are the best values, but you know if you sort by uh, cost per point, which is like I guess the uh, the literal <laughs> definition of this question. You know you have guys like Sam Gagne from last year, Sam Gagne and and Patrick Eves and Jonathan Marcheseau, and the thing those guys have in common is it just goes to show uh, how much of this stuff can be role based and how. Um, there's something to be said for putting your players in a position to succeed. And you're like a guy like Sam Gagne, for example, he's like bouncing around the league. He can't find a permanent mm-hmm. home. Uh, he's a, he's, he's, he had that pedigree, but he's really kind of, you know, lost some of that luster. And he goes to Columbus and all of a sudden they shelter him in a fourth line. They put him on the top power play as the tr- trigger man. And of course he's going to succeed. That's a great 
situation for him. Same with Patrick Eves last year, where he's on that Dallas power play and, and he's just racking up the power play goals. And it's, it, you know, it, you can't evaluate this stuff in a vacuum, and sometimes you really do have to look at how teams are utilizing players and whether they are putting those players in a position to succeed. And I kind of wanted to just highlight those guys as sort of uh, giving giving their teams a little bit of love for uh, for doing the right thing with them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to think of some of the new contracts that have hit that are really. I don't know if you call it team friendly or whatever. The, the, obviously, the one that sticks out is the one we talked about earlier, the Shattenkirk deal. Yeah, um, I think that falls into that. Well, how about this one? How about this? Uh, instead of one individual deal, how about just the Nashville Predators? Um, <laughs> yeah, and and yeah, and if there's something to uh, you know, you hear about the copycat league, and if there's something to learn. Obviously, there's risk involved uh, if you're making long-term investments anytime you do so. But what something they've done and really capitalized on is sort of getting ahead of the curve and giving guys uh, long-term contracts while suppressing the dollars on them, right? So they did it with Yossi, did it with Ekholm, they did it with Ellis, they did it with Yarncroc, they did it with Philip Forsberg. And now you look at all these deals and they basically have their core locked up well into like 2021, 2022, on these super team favorable deals. And I mean, obviously if, if, if something happened to those guys or they got injured or they just didn't develop the way you'd hope, we'd be looking at that and be like, Oh man, I can't believe they're paying those guys for another four or five years. So there is, you know, it's not necessarily just foolproof, but they took these calculated risks and now they're going to reap the rewards for them. Yep. Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, boy, what a what a model. What a great job their front office has done to build a team that's sustainable, you know, yep. that where at any given time, look, they could they could decide, uh, okay, it's time to move this part. Um, they're going to get a great return because it most of the most of their parts are on good contracts and um have they generally, you know, most of their assets have kind of this favorable um, type of uh, look to them, you know. I, I I don't look at anybody on on their roster and go, "Whoa, that's you know, that's a major major albatross." Um, they know what they're doing for sure. Um, I was going to um, Matt Cain's stuff with his free agent projections mm-hmm. that he did. With that stuff was great, and you know, he hit he hit so many close within $500,000, right. Or in that range. I think that's what he was averaging. And I was kind of going down the list and one of them jumped out at me that maybe is going to go underappreciated or whatever you want to call it. Um, I actually really like Ryan Miller going to Anaheim Mm. as a backup on a $2 million contract. I don't know why I like that deal so much. I just, well, I do know it. First of all, Gibson, boy, he, you know, he is a, such an injury risk, um, because of how he plays. So he, he, you know, he may miss time. He kind of has that tendency to, he might miss a game here, might miss a game there, might injure himself, whatever you want to, um, say, it, he just kind of scares me in the net sometimes. Ryan Miller still performs okay for 2 million bucks as your backup. You could do a lot worse than Ryan Miller. Yeah. Um, so I love that. I, I, I love that. It's just like a simple backup goalie contract. Throw the guy two million bucks. Um, you know, he's Ryan Miller. Um, 
there, there is, uh, did you, you know, see that as a positive thing or a negative thing? No, it was a positive. I, I, hmm. I still think Ryan Miller can play. I don't think he's a bad goalie. I think he's definitely not what he was, but you can't compare him to what he was. It was over the past two seasons. Well, last year was tough, but it was tough in Vancouver. The year before that he was beyond serviceable. He was above average for, for most of the year. So, right. um, yeah, he's, he's old. And he's not the Ryan Miller he was even, you know, five years ago. But um, it's not such a bad thing for a backup goalie. I think they upgraded their position on, the, on that position on the cheap. He's better than Bernier. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Well, no, I like it from purely from the perspective of going towards that more uh, modern uh, goalie split where it's like something like 50-30. All of a sudden, I, I like that a lot because I'm with you. I, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to be relying on Gibson to be starting north of 60 games. And no, you know, Miller's, show, Miller's shown that if he starts like 30, 35 games this year, like you know, at least you're getting league average, and that is uh, that's a lot better than a lot of other teams have going for them with their backup. So you, it's, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a it's you know uh, I'm gonna regret saying this, but it's a kind of a sure bet in that in that regard. Yeah. And that's hard to get for, for goaltending. Yeah. Um, you know, given the unpredictability, um, the, the only other contract I just want to highlight, and it's not a value contract, but that the, the Ron Hainsey deal in Toronto, mm. um, it's just an interesting contract, you know, 3 million, they're going to throw them in the top four. Um, just kind of interesting. I, I don't know what to make. <laughs> I, hey, we made it through this whole thing without talking about LTIR and, and the Leafs. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, and we're going to finish the show without talking about LTIR and the Leafs. Um, <laughs> Nick, I think uh, we're like at a, an hour and a half so far. I think this is the longest. I'd have to go back and check, but I'm pretty sure off the top of my head is the longest PDO cast I've ever done. So yes. I should have known it would be with you. Listen, I haven't made it onto the, the Mount Rushmore PDO cast. You're on the hipster I, Mount Rushmore. And I have a record now. Yeah. So that's all that matters. Excellent. All Personal right. accolades. Well, I'm not even going to pretend to uh, plug your written work or anything like that. I'm just going to tell people to go follow you at Mercad on Twitter and check out all your all your rants and ramblings there. And we'll get you back on sometime this summer, uh, maybe if something else happens. Or maybe, you know, th- th- I thought the mailbag was a, was a success for the first try. Maybe I, we'll do that again. I like the mailbag. I like it. Okay. We'll do that again. Talk soon, buddy. Thanks. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.